Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager Podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow the existing client relationships so their agency business can thrive. This episode is for you if you're working for an agency and are thinking about becoming an agency owner. Simon Barbato is the founder of an agency called Mr. B and Friends. He started his career in advertising in the 1990s, like me, in client service. He quickly then transitioned into a planner role and then eventually became an agency owner. So in this episode, he's going to share his journey, the ups, the downs, and also his advice for you if you're thinking about doing something similar. He's also going to share why he believes now is a great time to make that leap. I've also asked Simon to share with us a little bit more about the role of a planner in an agency, how they work with the account management team, how it adds value to clients and leads to client retention, and also at what point should an agency consider having one. I really enjoyed this chat with Simon. I felt we could have discussed things for a lot longer, but I hope you come away today with some ideas and also some inspiration. Enjoy. So Simon, would you mind spending a couple of minutes talking about you, your background, and how you made that transition from agency account management through to agency planning, and then eventually agency owner? Yeah, hi, Jenny. Thanks for uh, having me on. I'm actually a really big fan of the podcast. I've been listening to it since you started. So I'm quite, I feel quite honoured to to, uh, be asked to come and uh, come and talk to you today. So my background is classic agency sort of uh, management. I started in London in the early 90s and I worked at uh, a part of the Abbott Mead Vickers Group, then part of the Ogilvy Group. And then I went to work in a brand consultancy called Lyson Coley, who uh, don't unfortunately exist any longer. And my role was, I mean, my very first job was an account exec. And I learned, you know, very much how to do client service. I was looking after advertising and integrated marketing accounts. And then as I sort of started to progress through my career, I started to become a little bit more interested in the business side of things. And and as I sort of got to my last role, which was with Lyson Coley, which is uh, was an international brand consultancy, I started to sort of want to have a deeper conversation with clients. And I started to become more and more curious about sort of how organizations operated, about how you position brands, about how you sort of develop organizational culture and things like that. So I started to become extremely curious. I was always really sort of um, inquisitive as a child and never, ever had any shortage of questions for people. And it was at that point I started to work with internal planners and external sort of consultants as well and started to sort of learn the frameworks of brand planning. And it was at that point that I sort of took the leap from sort of managing clients to sort of consulting with clients. It's funny, actually, because when you describe the account management role that you had and your curiosity in the client's business, do you feel that that is actually a prerequisite for the account management role? I think curiosity is one of the key drivers of great account managers, the ability to show interest, ask questions, dig deep to unearth sort of, you know, the background to a client's 
business or business problem, for example. I think all of these things provide a really great canvas in which you can then build creative briefs or, or build project briefs. So if you don't have that you know, innate ability to drive into the client's business, I think that you will, you will operate on the very surface and therefore probably sort of have a transactional relationship with your client rather than a deep relational sort of engagement. I totally agree. So how do you think that having the role of agency account manager, agency planner, do you think that that fundamentally set you up for success as an agency owner? Yeah, I would say that all of those experiences sort of provided the framework for running a business, really. I can't think of a better grounding to start a creative business than the client services area. I mean, if you think about it, it's so deep and it's it's so broad. You've got the first thing is managing clients, providing levels of uh, service which delight your client portfolio on a daily basis. I mean, that's a, such an important sort of um, principle to learn in business. The second thing about sort of account managers is that by the very nature, they're there to sort of help grow accounts. So therefore, they have an ability to work with clients to grow their business, to provide sort of betterment to their customers rather than just the sort of deliver against projects. So therefore, there's a sort of a a bit of a new business angle to uh, client service as well. Then you've got project management, which is obviously about being really super organized, great communication skills, all those sorts of things resource management in terms of people, uh, and then finally, and really, really um, super important, of course, is budget management. And it was at Light and Coley, actually, strangely, that we were taught how to run a a sort of a micro P&L for our client portfolio. So I learned about what was the difference between revenue, what was cost of goods sold, what was you know gross profit, what were, what would the internal cost be, and therefore what would be profit before tax and net-net. So it gave me a really great sort of understanding of how to forecast from a financial point of view how my small portfolio of, of clients would actually make the agency money. And taking all of those experiences forward... I started my first agency back in 1998, which was called The Field. Wow, I didn't realise that you had another agency beforehand. Just stepping back one step, I think that's phenomenal. And that's the first time I've ever heard any agency providing training around a profit and loss account. I mean, I think that should be mandatory, really, isn't it? Because if we're going to be in front of clients having business level conversations and we're looking for business challenges, business outcomes, you need to speak the language of business. And the fundamentals of business is the P&L. So I think that's phenomenal. The other question before we talk a little bit more about the field, do you think for someone listening who is in a client service role that's thinking about starting their own agency do you think it's necessary to be able to have to do the planning role first because obviously in your role as a planner you were getting deeper into the client's business weren't you in being very consultative do you think that's important to do before you make the leap to do your own agency No, not really. I think that it depends on what type of business you want to be. There are some really good creative businesses out there that uh, are not strategically oriented. A lot of businesses will claim to be strategically oriented, but there are a lot of really great businesses which just do great creative work or great sort of digital work. So having a planning capability is not necessary for success. It was just that I wanted to focus rather than focus on sort of advertising and integrated marketing, which is where I started my career, I wanted to focus on brand. 
um, brand strategy. And therefore, this gave me a competitive advantage. And it was through trial and error. You know, my first few forays into doing actual brand strategy, I look back now and I, I sort of cringe at how sort of, you know, some naive and basic some of my solutions were. But it was my determination to learn and determination to sort of keep practicing, keep getting better. And that really sort of drove it forward. So I don't think that you need to have a planning background. And there are also many great planners who you can go out and employ if you can afford it. And at the moment within our agency, Mr. B and Friends, we've got three outstanding planners who are far better at the job than I was ever. So it's uh, it's always great to sort of be able to do that. So take me back to that moment where you were employed in the agency as a planner. What was the moment or what happened for you to start to think, I'm going to start my own agency? What was the spark? So I was working on a relatively well-known retail bank and I was account director and I started to work with the planning team on the positioning of this well-known retail bank. And the information that I was exposed to from the planning team was information I've never seen about a business before and it got me really interested and the more and more I dug the more and more I thought that's exactly what I wanted to do and I started to shadow the planning team started to move into the role I started to form opinions have conversations I started to position myself up the client chain from the marketing department into the senior leadership team. And it was at that moment that I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So I was given opportunities uh, within that agency to work on other brand strategy work. And it was around 1998 that I thought, I'm going to give this a go. And I left my job without any clients, just with some contacts and some confidence. And it worked. It was great. And what was interesting was It was because of the reputation that I generated as a relatively decent client services person that enabled me to have a relatively good network of clients. And it was those clients that became the field's first clients. Wow. So you'd done the groundwork. Groundwork was done. Just taking you back a tiny step, what was that information that the planning team exposed you to that you hadn't been exposed to? I'm just curious. Yeah, so it was information about how the bank made money. It was distribution strategies. It was internal culture. It was positioning within the competitive landscape, all of these sorts of things. When I was uh, in client services, I would probably get surface level of information rather than that deep level of information. I wouldn't read an annual report, for example, you know, but the, the annual report is absolutely where you find out everything about your client or your prospect's business. It's it's information like that that I suppose I just wasn't exposed to. And I suppose having gone through that journey yourself, I know we're jumping forward and back because we're at the field, but now I want to talk about Mr. B. I'm okay. thinking, I'm thinking having gone through that journey and realised that was a massive revelation, realising how useful that information was and how much it sparked you to think, wow, you know, this is actually what I should be knowing about the business. How do you now run your team? Do you make sure that everyone's exposed to that or kind of set the task of looking for that type of information about the business? Of the client. Yeah, I think, that, I think that there's a slight difference, though, because when you are in a planning 
context, your role is very, very different to what, say, an AD, an account director might be. And therefore, the client will see you in a, in a slightly different way because you're there to solve a different problem. And I think that as a natural consequence of the client's perception, they will provide you with the information they feel is necessary for you to get the job done. And so therefore, it's not always, I mean, the amount of NDAs I have to sign, for example, is a really great example of the difference between a planner and an AD. Planners are exposed to business sensitive information Client services, generally speaking, are exposed to information about the project. And I see that there is a difference there. So within Mr. B and Friends, we have a fantastic planning department. We encourage all of our client services people to learn as much about the business as the planners are learning. But of course, we have to also respect the fact that they are doing two different roles. And you can do the role together because I, I did it when I started my first business I did the role I was the AM plus I was the planner as well I was also the chief the cook the bottle washer the deck <laughs> and everything else but the point being you can do it but you can't do it at scale and that's the point it takes a lot of mental availability for a planner to immerse himself into a business and have that sort of time to immerse themselves to research to have those stakeholder conversations to think, to come up with solutions, and then to provide the platform for everybody else to do their job brilliantly. Imagine trying to do that over three or four accounts. It's really, really difficult. And that's why the planning role and the AM role at scale has to be separate. So tell me about, again, going back, you started the field, you were mm. everything to everybody, because you were yeah. doing, there's my account management hat, there's my agency owner hat, there's my planner hat. How did you then scale it? Because I'm sure there are people listening also that maybe are in the early stages of starting their agency thinking, you know, this is all becoming quite unmanageable, but I don't quite know how to then grow. So how did you do that transition? Oh, it was just really incredible hard work, long hours. And the first thing that I did was to build up a, a sort of a, a war chest, a cash war chest. So I tried to make everything profitable from day one so I could put some money in the bank. And that would enable me to bring people in to sort of share the heavy lifting, so to speak. And so, I mean, in those days when I was running the field, this is when I was sort of starting out and the planning wasn't as deep, the projects weren't as big, the clients weren't as important and things like that. So the field was much more of a comms, brand comms agency than it was a strategy sort of business. But yes, yeah, so all of those different things, it was just about sort of a lot of hard work, a lot of application, running through walls and, and just trying to keep the, the, the quality high and the, and the clients happy. And, and then it scaled and the, the field was only a very small business. We only got to 11 people, sub £1 million in fee income. But it was a really successful little agency. And I learned so much running that business, good stuff and bad stuff. I can imagine. What happened? Did you sell the agency or did you close the agency? What happened at the end? Well, here is an incredible coincidence because we specialised in the adventure travel market. And when SARS hit in 2003 most of our clients stopped spending money. So we had leveraged the business, painted ourselves into a corner 
and revenue just really slowed down. And so I couldn't believe that we would have another sort of respiratory problem that would nearly kill a load of other agencies nearly 20 years later. But so I managed to sell the business to a larger marketing services group that was looking to put a brand offer into their comms offer. And so we became the sort of branding department of that larger business. You must be, Simon, one of the only people that could actually put up their hands and say, I've been here before with the coronavirus because you were there with SARS and you built the agency based on the niche that was going to be most affected. I mean, because it has been exceptional what we've been through. So tell us about what were the biggest challenges for you? So, okay, so you sold the field and then you started Mr. B. How did that transition happen? So I had to stay around for a couple of years with the company that acquired the field and do a earn out. I always knew I would go back into agency ownership. One of the interesting pieces of advice I got was in a long time ago was that people and profit, sometimes they don't work well together. And so when I started Mr. B and Friends, I'd learned a lot of lessons about sort of creating overhead during the days of the the field. And uh, I was keen to sort of try to go into the market again as a consultant. So my on my business card, when it said Mr. B and Friends, it just simply said brand and creative consultant. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to take what I'd learned over the years and go in and and help to unravel the plate of spaghetti that is often a, a client's business and to provide simplicity and clarity around brand strategy, positioning, brand architecture, and all those sorts of things. And the friends, all of these guys were freelance contractors that I had sort of generated my black book of great people who could then come in and work with me on implementation programs, so identity, comms, digital and things like that. And what happened after a couple of years, it just got a a massive head of steam again. And all of a sudden, I was sort of working 16 hours a day and I could see burnout happening. But the biggest thing for me really was the fact that I could see the quality was slipping and I really needed a partner in the business. And so I reached out to my good friend and ex-colleague, Steve Richardson, who was uh, then in Auckland. And he was the creative director of DDB Interbrand. And I sold him the idea of coming back to the UK and partnering up. And so that's what he did. And he put his family on a plane and all of his goods and chattels in a container, sent it back. And we said, right, let's build this thing. Because we had the foundation of outstanding clients. We had really good reputation. We had opportunities. And we just needed to sort of get on and do it. So that's what we did. So looking back on that moment, again, for anyone listening, thinking of doing the transition, would you advise people to really consider it earlier? Because it sounds to me like you thought you were going to be a consultant, then you started getting freelancers to support you, then you made that transition of having employees, and then you thought, well, I actually need a partner. Do you think it's imperative to have a partner? Or I'm sorry, there's, I'm asking so many questions, but talk, talk to me about that moment because I think it would be useful for people to maybe consider different ways of doing this. Yeah, yeah. It, I think it depends. You've got to ask yourself what type of business you want to uh, develop. I mean, when you take on a partner, you certainly lighten the load uh, and you can get complementary skills. There's just no way that one person can have all the skills needed to develop a really successful creative business. So so I knew that Steve, because we'd worked together, he was at the field. I knew that Steve had the right metal to be a, uh, a business owner. 
that level of craft in his work, you know, good at people management, great sort of alignment with my worldviews and values and things. But most importantly, that sort of run through the wall commitment to just get the job done and until it's done sort of thing. And I think that what was interesting was it was, you know, do I want to have a 100% of something very small that was all about me and so therefore was a lifestyle business or did I want to have an equal share in something that could grow and scale and bring other people on board and eventually if we wanted to have an event, you know, that might be a possibility. So I don't think I would ever regret bringing a partner on board. It's just helped so much and I think it's a really positive thing but it's about finding the right partner and I do know people that have selected the wrong partners so it's important that there is an affinity or some knowledge of that person's working pattern what they believe in what they value all those different things and it sounded like you had experience of working together with Steve so you'd kind of you knew what it was going to be like okay so just to finish off this story about the agency so Steve joined you and then did you just find from that moment onwards that the the journey was easier for you personally or was it new challenges new types of problems to face (laughs) new opportunities more than problems I think that was the motivating thing it was two very seasoned practitioners in that sort of hilarious moment of almost like a bootstrap startup mode I mean I remember our our first office there was sort of sewage coming up through the floor and that we were networking our computers by sticking two sorts of you know cables into the back of each computer it was it was brilliant it was exhilarating and all we were focused on was building great relationships with clients doing great work and getting fair compensation so it was it was a moment and then Steve had that requisite skill in terms of understanding what would be a great employee for you know a studio that he was going to build or who would be a great friend to do that piece of work over there if we needed to continue using the friends network so it was an exhilarating time and it full of energy making sort of great decisions and bad decisions but we were doing something together love it love it and you said that you focused primarily on relationships can Mm. you share any tips around what did that actually look like how did you create those strong relationships yeah so and I believe that this is where the the planning part of my career helped massively because we weren't a ever a transactional type of business we have never been a transactional type of business and I think that the only way that you can build deep long-standing relationships with your clients is to really get under the skin and to be seen as a trusted advisor and uh, so therefore you have to have the vernacular you have to have the understanding you have to learn the technical parts of your client's business no matter what their business is I mean some of our some of our clients are, are pretty pretty dry, I, I think. I mean, we've got clients in the pension space, for example. But what I couldn't tell you about self-invested personal pension isn't worth knowing, you know, because I put the hard yards in to learn the client's business, even understanding their jargon, their lingo and everything else, because then you become an active participant in the conversation. And when you have that level of depth, you become a trusted advisor because you are not thinking just about the brief at hand. You've got a more 360 view. And that for me was the sort of really powerful thing. And then with Steve sort of like also being a a very much a strategic thinker, we were able to deliver brand comms positioning sort of advice to our clients 
as well as wonderful, inspiring creativity and execution. So that was our whole focus. Build those great relationships, really have them cemented. And the other thing I would say about that is that my word, the equity that that gives you, because when things go wrong, and invariably they do, the client will remember the investments that you've made into their business. So I have a saying about giving without the expectation of receiving. And I've always think that that is a really important trait, no matter what you're doing in the agency world. And I am still receiving now inquiries for major, major pieces of work from people that I worked with 25 years ago. Wow. So Simon, as your agency grew... And you and Steve weren't the key people who were, you know, getting under the skin of the business and really understanding the language that clients were using and understanding their environments real and micro level. And I can see why that that, you know, developed really strong relationships. What happened when you started employing more people? Did you feel a sense of, oh, they're not going to be able to do it as deeply as me? Or was there any moment that you felt a little bit of loss of control? And how did you kind of cope with that if you did <laughs> my mind <laughs> so absolutely absolutely because we had a certain quality that we would just refuse to dip below and i think that when the agency got to about 15 20 people i certainly started to become a blocking point because i was still doing a lot of the brand work the brand planning work then and i certainly started to become a blocking point and when you bring new people in obviously they have their own sort of processes and perceptions of what quality looks like and things like that so i think that there was a point when we started to sort of get worried that the sort of the magic that we'd created in the early years was starting to get watered down a little bit and so therefore that was when we sort of decided it was really important to re-energize the business with some pretty senior hires and we've made a number of senior hires two really amazing hires one in Kate Gorringe who's our creative director who basically is Steve's 2IC and Kate brought in such a level of experience into the team uh, not just sort of from a creative point of view but also from a studio management point of view as well and that freed Steve up to continue developing the creative sort of products of the agency. And from my point of view, we brought in Adam Partridge, who's our planning and strategy director. And Adam has taken, you know, what I was doing and really sort of accelerated it and, and made it significantly better. And that enabled me to then sort of start to sort of grow the business in other ways as well. So so I think that having that sort of humility to be able to accept that you need people better than you is a really fantastic trait for a leader to have. And they came in and they started to build their own departments and take what we had done and just make it better. Did you, was there any, I mean, Adam was obviously very experienced anyway, but did you mm. have any kind of training for Adam in the way that you were doing things with clients? Or did you have a, you know, coming together and sharing your approaches? Yes, definitely. So what was fantastic was I I shared Adam our sort of process that, you know, we like to do and how we define brand strategy and brand frameworks. And he came in, he really likes what we had done already, but he identified areas in which we could improve it. And that's exactly what he did. So effectively, the thread of what I had started is still there, but you can just see that it's supercharged now. It's much better. I mean, now you've freed yourself up to run the agency and have more of the vision and the strategy. Do you 
position your agency in terms of favouring a certain sector of the market? Have you got quite a narrow focus with your positioning? So that's a really that's an amazing question because agency positioning is the hot topic. You know, how do you create a hugely highly differentiated agency? One of the fears, of course, is that by going through the positioning sort of the true positioning process, you end up actually sort of reducing your addressable market to the point of even one or two sort of sectors and things like that. So what we have done, if you go to our website, you'll just see it says brand expertise. Okay, that's what we do. And brand is a transferable and scalable business discipline. So that's what you will see from the outside. But when we actually go to market, we will talk about brand expertise in and we have two really core sectors. The first is the financial services sector and the second is technology, media and telecoms. Now we do work outside of those, but those areas are the founding sectors of the agency and still the two verticals that we have got the strongest portfolio in and the most reputation. So, so yeah, we have a broad positioning around what we do, but we also try to create distinction for our brand by talking about no added nonsense. We try to just get to the point. We talk in very straight terms. We do not sell clients something that they do not need. If a client comes to us with a business problem, the answer is not always a brand strategy solution. You know, we might actually send them away and ask them to go and speak to a friend or another agency. So what we're trying to do is create an identity for the business on how we do things and brand expertise is what we do. I love that. I mean, you said this earlier on, but I think the sign of a good planner for me is simplification, the ability to simplify. So I love the no added nonsense. And I've been through your website. I think it's fantastic. And also sometimes, presumably for clients that come to you with a problem, it's defining whether that is the problem that you need to deal with, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, you should never prescribe until you've diagnosed and to sort of borrow a term from Blair Ends, actually. But it's interesting, we spend a lot of time in the immersion phase in order to help the clients to sort of understand the business problem. And, you know, the types of conversations that we have are so wide and varied. I mean, that's why I love working in the agency world. I don't think I could ever be client side because I don't think I have the discipline just to work on one brand. So we have loads of different sort of clients coming to us with different problems and what we're really good at is getting to what matters most and actually sort of helping the clients to sort of either confirm validate or change their opinion as to what's needed to be done and that's where the strategic nature of brand planning becomes so exciting because you are affecting change at an organizational level not just at a marketing level we're talking about the the fortunes of organizations we're talking about people's jobs and their roles the culture in which they're operating and then of course how the world sees that organization it's a really exciting business to be in and it's the thing that sort of the agency is set up to do and it's the bit that sort of motivates people more than anything else what is that skill that you have that allows you to do that because not everybody can go into a client's business and look at to use your words the spaghetti that is you know the you know we've got this we're doing this and another and make some sense of it and then also to simplify enough so that you identify the key problem and then start addressing it so tell me about if someone's listening to this maybe they're thinking about going into the planning role or maybe an account manager wants to transition over to the planning role what are the skills that you think someone that's really good at the role has okay I think that a core skill is to understand how business works, okay? So I think it's really important that you understand how your client makes money, 
And what prevents them from moving forward? And I think that once you actually can sort of start to picture the different departments of an organization, you can then start to understand each individual part and how it all sits together. It's I'd never say that Mr. B and Friends is a business consultancy, but there is there is a level of business consultancy in what we do. So having the sort of frameworks in which to sort of, I suppose, segment business problems, having the confidence and the, I suppose, the uh, parameters that question and to dive deep into an organization is really, really important. Having past experience, because we work on uh, wow, how many how many clients have I worked with over the years? You know, probably hundreds. And you've probably seen all of the common sorts of problems that other businesses in other sectors have had. So drawing on that sort of like huge resource of within your sort of memory and your experience, and then sort of breaking things down into smaller bite-sized chunks. Somebody once said to me that if you try to eat a salami in one go, you'll choke on it. So slice it up into small parts and work on each part and then put it back together. So I I think that the ability to step back, see the big picture, break up the problems into small bite-sized chunks and then start to elegantly put them back together in a logical way that will enable the clients to sort of move forward, unblock a problem that might exist because the problem may be in the market or maybe internal and then move forward. Really, really good. I think not enough agencies actually have that level of business consultancy acumen. And I think our industry, there are so many management consultancies that are taking over, buying up creative agencies left, right and centre. You've got the Accentures of the world, you've got the PWCs. And that trend, I mean, I use one of the charts, the trend that's happening. It's only a matter of time before that traditional management consultancy skill blends quite nicely with the creative skill and then they have something really powerful. I mean, I don't know what it's like behind the scenes and internally, whether that's all joining up, but certainly I've noticed a trend of agencies starting to change the title of account director into consultant. So I think there's definitely a trend. I mean, can you say, Simon, I know you've probably worked with hundreds of businesses, but can you say that there's like the top three business problems broadly that businesses come to you with yeah yeah definitely so i think the top three challenges uh, that we get will be around positioning so an organization is unsure of the value that it delivers to their consumers and in relationship to their competitive landscape so the positioning may be set upon the past and not fit for the future the second i think is probably brand architecture So there's a lot of consolidation going on in many vertical sectors. There's a lot of money, private equity money and sort of VC money and everything swelling around. So there's a a lot of companies who are on the acquisition trail. And that presents itself a distinctive problem because how do you sort of integrate an organization into a larger, how do you swallow it up? What do you do? Do you kill it? Do you transition it? What's the migration program? So we do a lot of consulting around that. 
And then the third is about creating a distinction around sort of visual and verbal identity where, you know, it's just not connecting with people. It's not motivating. And when you've actually got a really, you know, exciting positioning statement, how do you then sort of like bring that to life? And how do you make it connect externally and internally? And I think that when you combine, I mean, we sometimes we get briefs which have all three elements of that going on. And those are the really exciting brand programs that we run. But sometimes the work's done internally and we validate it and sometimes the work you know is done with us there's a fourth one i'd like to just add if that's okay it's around organizational culture as well and we are doing so much work around evp at the moment employer brand and setting really inspiring sort of internal culture in order that people can really understand that the business is brand brand is business and what we're hoping to do when we do internal work is that um, we're creating an army of ambassadors for the brand and at least at the very least they can articulate what their organization stands for and what it's all about so that's the hygiene factor but actually some of the work that we've done is about sort of helping to retain talent, helping to attract the very best talent, creating an employer reputation, which is outstanding. And we've been doing that since day one. Wow. Do you work with external consultants also? So where your work finishes and then perhaps, you know, is there a a cultural specialist that trains the team in making sure everybody's, you know, talking about the company in the same way? I mean, do you have a, a network of different companies that you bring in at certain points that you work with? Yes, certainly. But we also have the experience and talent with the internal team as well. So, yeah, so we've got that internally organized. And there will obviously be certain people who are, you know, specialists in the area of talent, HR law and things like that. So that's important. And I know of a lot of internal comms consultants that uh, are available and they operate with us on a friend's basis as well. So, yeah, but we do have that talent in-house. It's become really important to our own proposition. I think there must be agency leaders thinking we don't currently have a planning function within our business. You mentioned before that it was a a big hire for you, you know, your first ever kind of director of planning. Mm -hmm. At what point in an agency's development would you say that having a full-time planning person is essential? Mm, Yeah, earlier than we invested, I can tell you. But I'll just say that we waited and got the very best. So it was great. I think that when you get to some critical mass within the business and the conversations with clients are oriented around their organizational strategy or or brand and things like that, we should have brought, you know, a head of planning in when I was getting swamped, which would have been around sort of that 15 sort of uh, head counts, really. We did work with you know, freelancers and and bought them in, but they just weren't invested. They were hired guns. You know, they'd come in, do a great job and everything, and then they'd go off. And what you need when you have that sort of long-term account with a client is that you need the planning capability there all the time. It's like a it's like a corporate memory bank. And you don't get that when a freelancer has done the work. So I would have said around sort of 15 people. I mean, at our height, the agency got to about 42 people and we had four or five in the planning team. Would you say that's the reason why you managed to have these long-term relationships with your clients? Because you have that planning function. Is that a big contributing factor? I think it is a contributing factor and it keeps the agency relevant. It should fuel the account growth plans and things like that. That's not always the case, uh, I have to say. But 
I think that it provides a different level of depth to the relationship beyond the brilliant work that the client services team are doing. And it's that sort of intelligence and 360 vision which unlocks future opportunities. And therefore, I think that you move into a trusted advisor status when you have that within your sort of your stable. How does it work internally, Simon, with your account management team and your planning team? How do the account management team know when to bring in the planning team and when not to and who leads the relationship and how does that kind of work? So client services, our client services team, they'll know when we're talking about something that has a sort of strategic nature to it. I also encourage them not to boil the ocean as well. Not every single discussion needs to have a planner. It just needs to have a really good client services person asking the right questions and writing great briefs. But, you know, if we're talking about brand strategy or we're talking about major projects and things like that, we tend to just sort of make sure, check in with the planning team, just double check that they believe that they should be present. But the client services team own the relationship relationship and that is crucial absolutely crucial that there's no sort of ambiguity there agreed so i'm just conscious of time i didn't realize i could talk to you all day especially reminiscing about advertising in the early 90s i'm sure there's lots of stories that we could swap i'm just curious about someone listening to this thinking wow this sounds really exciting and perhaps they are in a planning role and they think well I've got all the skills like Simon. It really helped him then going to an agency owner role. Are there any tips or advice that you could share? Anything that we haven't discussed already that you think would be valuable to keep in mind? Yeah. Yeah. I think the first question is, what's your motivation to, you know, moving from employment to self-employment and then to the employer status? You know, if it's like me, you're sort of impatient and you want to sort of, you know, I suppose do something on your own and prove that to yourself you can do it, then I think that's a, that's a great thing. And, and I, I love meeting people that are entrepreneurial, you know, and people that have that sort of confidence in their own ability to go for it. Some tips, I think, is that never forget that it's all about clients, okay? Never forget. If you don't have clients, you don't have a business. And therefore, you have to be client-centric all the time. And that's in terms of winning clients, servicing clients, and helping clients out and being sort of that sort of go-to person when the client needs you. Understanding planners may not know how the commercial side of a business works. So for example, there's a lot of planners I've met and we've employed and it's the first time that they've ever been exposed to the machinations of an agency. Learn that, you know. How does an agency stay afloat, make money? And that's really important to learn. And then I think knowing your value, how to price for the long term, not for the short term. And that's another judgment that you have to make. And once you have that going, as I said earlier, sort of build up a bit of a a war chest of money on the balance sheet. Use the friends model. Make everything a cost of sale, not a fixed overhead to start with. You don't need to employ people. We're now in this incredibly agile environment where it's a gig economy, work from anywhere. You know, this is the perfect environment for somebody to set up an agency. And once you have that sort of critical mass in the business, you start to hire and then bring in some experts to help you with legals and employment and and infrastructure, even an office if you do decide to go for it. So, so, I mean, loads, the, the journey that I went on was sort of, you know, stumbling from, you know, mistake to mistake and things like that. And eventually you just get it right. And once you've got that those foundations right everything can then just accelerate 
There's some great tips there. I love the thing about the war chest. I think that's so practical. Lots of really great tips for anyone listening and quite inspiring as well. So how do you see the future for agencies and maybe planning and account management? Is there anything that you see coming that you think is significant for the agency world in general? Any kind of trends or things you're seeing? So I don't know if I'm, I've just got a sort of a a view on this, which other leaders may not agree, but I see that clients are wanting to choose expert agencies in particular roles. So therefore, I think full service agencies are going to really struggle to keep themselves relevant and therefore niching down actually is quite an interesting strategy and something that we've very much done over the last few years where we have decided what we are absolutely brilliant at and we've decided what we don't want to do as well. So I think that's an interesting one. I think that client service is becoming so important to the client environment. There was the Up to the Light report that came out just recently again, which demonstrated the importance of client service, great client service in the client agency relationship. And I think we have to move people to trusted advisor sort of position where they consultancy actually is interesting because as you say, you know, if you look at the sort of management consultants, they drive up the value of their services. They provide a significant amount of value to the client beyond the job in hand. And I think that us creative businesses, we need to start pushing our client services team up that sort of value chain. So the perception that's held of the team by the client organization is much greater. The last thing I ever want is for a client services person to to sort of be the person just taking notes. You know, that's not where we need to be. And from a planning point of view, I think that the opportunity to bring some really great skills into the sort of mid-market is is a great opportunity as well. I'm seeing a lot of organizations that outside of like the 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 FTSE 300 and all that sort of stuff now thinking brand is a really valuable business tool and therefore there's an opportunity for us to apply that strategic thought to smaller businesses and to start to t- start to help companies become more brand led than branded and there's a real distinction there and that's something that we're very active in so yeah so i think it's a really exciting moment amazing thank you that was brilliant brilliant advice for agency owners account managers and planners so this has been amazing simon if someone wants to find out about you more about you or mr b and friends how can they get hold of you how can they reach you Okay, so I'm on LinkedIn, of course. So you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Simon Barbeso. If anybody wants to sort of reach out, my email address is on our website, mrbeandfriends.co.uk. And I sometimes muck around on Twitter, but I'm trying to do that less and less. (laughs) Another distraction. So now I I just don't have time for it any longer. Exactly. Simon, thank you so, so much for sharing so many valuable tips. I think this is going to be really a great episode for many people who are thinking about possibly moving from account manager to planner or a planner to an agency owner. I think this is hugely inspiring. So thank you so much for joining me and thank you so much for everything you've shared. Thank you. It's been lovely to have a walk down memory lane, actually. So uh, (laughs) yeah, I look forward to listening back. Thanks a lot for having me. Lovely. It's a pleasure. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Simon and have come away inspired 
to perhaps start your own agency or even move into the account planning role yourself. A quick reminder to come and join my LinkedIn group, Creative Agency Account Manager, where I often share tips and trends for the world of agency account management. And also, if you'd like to evaluate how good you are at keeping and growing your account, then come along to my website, accountmanagementskills.com, where you can take a quiz. So until the next time, have a great week.